listening to the sermons from St. Timothy's Church. For more information, please check out our website at stTimothystores.org or come visit us Sunday nights at 615 at the St. Mark's Chapel right here on Yukon's As we spend time engaging with God's Word, we just want to create space for God to speak to each of us individually, as He's also going to speak to all of us corporately. So as you listen to God's Word tonight being spoken directly to you, pay attention to whatever word or phrases or emotions stand out. And whatever stands out to you tonight, right now, as we listen to this Word, let it be the start of a conversation with God. Ask Him, God, what are you trying to say to me through your Word? Why is this word standing out? What are you trying to talk to me about? And as we prepare to hear God's word, we just want to clear our mind, clear our hearts, let go of any stress or anxiety or physical pain that we've been carrying in so we can be really present here tonight. So I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes, take a deep breath in, breathing in the goodness of God. And a long, slow breath out, just letting go of any worry or fear or anxiety or pain. And just one more deep breath in, just soaking up the goodness of God. And one long, slow breath out, just letting go of any distractions or stress. And committing to be fully present here tonight to be attentive to what God has for you. So speak, Father. We are listening with open hands, with open hearts, and with open minds. John 8, verses 12 through 20. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, Where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts, near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him, because his hour had not yet come.
In our passage today, Jesus says very clearly and very distinctly, I am the light of the world. And that means knowing him brings light into the darkest places of our world and the darkest places of our lives. So let's just set the scene for a minute, because just like most passages of scripture, this scene has a lot of context that helps us understand it better. So I want us to just pretend for a minute that we are among the growing crowds of people who have been following Jesus. This new prophet, this itinerant minister, this itinerant teacher, where, who's getting all this buzz, all this interest, all this curiosity. And so several months have passed since our last message in John 6, where Jesus fed the 5,000 and told the people at Capernaum that he was the bread of life. So in the intervening months, we followed him about 200 miles to Jerusalem, which is about the distance from here to Philadelphia, to be with him to celebrate in Jerusalem at the Feast of the Tabernacles. And the Feast of the Tabernacles is a big, important celebration in the Jewish calendar. And celebrating at the heart of Jerusalem, the temple, is like celebrating the 4th of July on the lawn of the White House. You are celebrating the nation's holiday at the center of the nation. And what's important here is Jesus just isn't teaching the high priests and the Pharisees. The text tells us he spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offering was put. So that doesn't mean a lot to us today, but the place where the offering was put was located in the women's court, which was perhaps the busiest part of the whole temple because all Jews were allowed to be there, male or female, priest or peasant, educated, uneducated, wealthy or poor, everyone was welcome in the court of the woman. So the court of the women was the most external outside part of the temple, where women, children, anyone of the Jewish community was allowed. The next inner part of the court was the was the court of Israel, or the court of the men, where only Jewish men were allowed. And then the next section inside of that was called the holy place, where only the priests were allowed. And in the very center of the temple, the most inner part, was the holy of holies, where the Spirit of God dwelled and no human entered. And it was separated from everything by a heavy curtain or a veil. So it's fascinating to me that Jesus is teaching in the women's court. Because that means everyone can hear him. Everyone has access to him. Men, women, children, priests, peasants, lepers, the rich, the poor. Everyone in the Jewish community. He's not teaching to the inner circle. He's not teaching to the priests. He's not teaching to the biblical scholars. He's not teaching to the experts, just the religious guys, just even just the men. He's teaching to everyone who has ears to hear. And significantly, he's teaching on the last day of the Festival of the Tabernacles, right at the climax of the celebration. Again, it would be like standing up and giving a sermon on the lawn of the White House on the 4th of July, just as the fireworks are going off behind your head. And I think it's a very vivid visual scene, so I want you to picture it the best you can. So you've been following Jesus 200 miles to Jerusalem, and now you're in the court of this massive temple, uh, 
almost a wonder of the world, a sight to be seen, the most important, sacred, significant building to the Jewish people. And in honor of the Festival of Tabernacles, this giant temple, this giant marble temple, has four huge pillars placed around the court of the women. And each of these huge pillars, these like telephone pole pillars, holds four enormous golden bowls. And each of these bowls is filled with oil and lit on fire. So I want you to picture four flaming telephone poles just illuminating this entire space. And these pillars are effectively like four giant street lamps. And so I just want you to imagine you don't know what a street lamp is, and so the first time in your life you're seeing streaming, glowing, illuminating light filling the darkness of the night. For the first time in your life, the darkness is not overcoming you, but the light is driving it away. Because this is a world where there are no street lamps, no headlights, no windows glowing from the inside. When the sun went down, it was pitch black. There's pretty much total darkness, except for whatever small candle or torch a person was holding. So just imagine, just a few nights a year, the temple is filled with spectacular light. The light from these golden bowls reflecting on the yellow limestone of the temple walls, and the whole city is effectively illuminated. For someone who had never experienced light in the darkness, must have felt like looking into the sun, like this incredible burst of flame and light in the middle of the darkness. And just keeping that scene in your mind, just imagine in the midst of these glowing, flaming, golden bowls suspended upon telephone poles, upon street lights, which are illuminating the temple and arguably the entire city, a man is standing a simple man of not much account, not a priest, not a, biblical, not a Bible teacher, not a leader of the community, standing amidst this light saying, I am the light of the world, saying to everyone who has ears to hear, whoever follows me, man, woman, child, poor, rich, old, young, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So this passage shows us and it tells us that Jesus is the light of the world. And he brings light into the darkest places of the night and the darkest places of our hearts. The people Jesus was addressing understood what it was like to live in real physical darkness, to wake up in darkness, to go to sleep in darkness, to stumble through dark streets and dark fields, twisting ankles in unseen holes, stumbling over unseen rocks, falling victim to the bad intentions of those lurking in dark shadows. And there in the midst of this blinding light, unlike any light they have ever seen in their day-to-day life, unlike any light they know, stands a man saying he is the light. But not just the light of the temple or the light of the Jews or the light of Jerusalem, but the light of the world. 
that the light streaming all around them, illuminating everything they see, is available to each of them, always. And this man standing in the center of this glowing light is promising them that even after the end of the festival, when the pillars and the bowls and the festivities go away and end, that they can still walk in light, that they don't need to return to darkness, that they can have the light of life, the light of hope, the light of protection, the light of God as a lamp unto their feet wherever they go. And we see in this passage that some people prefer darkness because it feels like there's safety and secrecy, that no one will ever know what they do in the dark, who they are in the dark. In this passage, the Pharisees, who are essentially just the Bible experts, the Bible teachers, they don't want Jewish they don't want Jesus's light. They don't want him as light of the world because it threatens their power and their control and their authority over the Jewish people. His light exposes their hypocrisy, their pride, their ego, their need for power and authority. So instead of responding to what he's saying, instead of dealing with the fact that he's promising the people light, they just try to discredit him. They try to trap him. They try to lock him into a legal wrangling to divert attention from the, from the darkness, to, di- to divert the attention from the truth that he's trying to bring, their secret cruelty, their secret fear. So they try to hide their fear of exposure behind their legal knowledge, saying, oh, you, you can't say you're the light of the world. You're not legally allowed to witness to yourself, to be a witness for your own identity. But the thing is, Jesus knows the Jewish laws just as well as they do. And what's more, he knows something that these Pharisees, that these Bible teachers, with all their knowledge of Jewish law and scriptures, still don't know. He knows the Father. So he doesn't even waste his breath defending himself or offering long, detailed, theological, scriptural explanations. He just points to his Father, saying, You do not know me or my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. And so Jesus is the light of the world, but John never forgets to remind us that the Father is the source of the light. That if we want to know Jesus, we have to start by knowing the Father. And if we know the Father, then we will know Jesus. And so this raises what I think is a really important question in the text. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, but if you want to know me, you must know my Father. He is the source of my light. And so that begs the question, how do we get to know the Father? How do we get to know the source of Jesus' light? And the answer is surprisingly simple. We get to know Father God the same way we know our earthly fathers. We spend time with them. Last week we talked about moving past just a, a transactional relationship with God, where we just ask him to meet our needs, into a real relationship with him where we spend time with him, where we want to be with him. And one of the first steps in a real relationship is just getting to know someone. And we don't just want to know about God because we've read a lot of books about him or listened to a lot of sermons about him or people have told us a lot about him. 
We want to know God because we spent a lot of time with him, because we share our life with him. In the temple system, only the high priest could enter the holy place, and no human entered the holy of holies, where the spirit of God dwelled. But here Jesus is shouting to the women and to the children and to the corrupt moneylenders, you can live in the light. You can experience the holy of holies. You can know God. Knowing God means talking to him for ourselves, asking him questions for ourselves, going directly to him with our hopes and our plans and our hurts and our fears and our needs and our desires. It means spending time with him, making room for him in our schedule sitting quietly in his presence, listening to his voice, bringing him our worries, our concerns, our problems, waiting, listening, worshiping, believing, and trusting until he responds. When we're in seasons of transition, facing difficult, confusing situations or personal crises, I know for me, my instinct is often to ask the people around me for advice. What should I do? How do I do it? When do I do it? My first instinct is often to look to the people around me for hope and encouragement, for wisdom and perspective. And let's be clear that the people around us are wonderful gifts and can be invaluable secondary sources of hope and encouragement. But they are not the lights to our world. They are not the lamps to our feet. They are not the source of our hope. They cannot provide the answers we need. They are not God the Father. They can remind us of what God has said to us. They can help us persevere when we're struggling. And they can remind us of God's word when we're doubting. And sometimes God will speak through the people around us. But talking to the people around us is not the same thing as talking to God. Advice can be wonderful. But when we're stumbling in the darkness, advice from the people around us is like a tiny matchstick. And I don't know about you, but I don't want a matchstick. I want the light of the world. I want the lamp to my feet. I want the light of Christ that comes through knowing the Father. I want to talk to God directly and to get his wisdom directly. I want to know God and I want to live in his light that will help guide me and lead me and point me in the way that I should go. And a pastor friend in Florida told, told a story once about a young woman who had come to his office because she was utterly devastated and distraught. She had assumed that she and her boyfriend were going to get married. So when he got accepted into a grad program across the country, she just followed him. I don't know. It, I don't know the details that they had talked about this or if she just did it. But she quit her job. She moved across the country and left everything she knew behind her because she was sure that this relationship was the one. And as you can imagine, almost as soon as she moved into the town where he was in school, he dumped her. And as you can probably imagine, she was devastated, confused, overwhelmed, and just totally at a loss for what to do next. And the pastor said he sat with her for over an hour, listening to her story, empathizing with her, offering her comfort, and giving what he thought was good, wise, practical advice about how to move forward now that everything was just turned upside down. 
But no matter what he said, it just didn't seem to help. The more she talked, the more upset she got. And finally, he said, after almost two hours of talking, he said, okay, okay, let's take a breath and let's pray. So he put his hands on her head and started inviting God to just come. For the God the Father to send his Holy Spirit and fill this place, fill her heart, fill his mind, fill her mind. He said after a few minutes, he could feel her body relaxing. And he could just feel the peace that had settled into the room and had settled into her spirit. And he said when they were done praying, her whole face had softened. And there were still tears streaming down her cheeks, but they were different tears. They were softer tears, more gentle tears. And the pastor said there was still a weight of sadness on the woman's shoulders, but her face had a soft glow. And she said, God gave me the answer. Now I know what I have to do. And then she just essentially retold him everything he'd been telling her for the last two hours. But she needed to hear it from God, not from him. She was lost in the darkness of despair and confusion. And what she needed was divine light, not just good advice. She needed to hear from God. And let's be clear, her problems were still very real. And nothing in her physical situation had changed. God had not transported her back to her previous life and her previous job and her previous circumstances. Everything in her physical situation was the same, except God's light had shined in the darkness, and she saw a path in front of her. She had literally experienced the light of Christ breaking through the overwhelming darkness of despair and confusion, and she felt his hope. So by all means, ask people for practical wisdom. Ask other people for help. Ask people for support and encouragement. But ask God first. Let God be your light. Don't bring a matchstick into the darkness. Bring the light of the world. And on the flip side, when other people come to you for advice, for wisdom, for guidance or suggestions, don't just offer the greatest hits of every thought you've ever had on the subject. Offer to pray with them. Offer to help them hear God for themselves. Offer to help them receive the light of Christ that will guide them to the Father. People don't really need advice. They need a relationship with God. So as much as you might know, and as right as you might be, hearing advice from you won't transform their lives. Hearing the voice of God will. So how do you start to bring God's light into your darkness How do you start to welcome him into the good and the bad and the ugly of your day and your life and your heart? First, you have a relationship with him. First, you know the Father. And when you know the Father, then you can receive the light of Christ. And then you bring that light into each part of your day. And one way to do that, one really powerful way I found is the examine which is a prayer practice believers have been using for hundreds of years to help them build that relationship with God, to help them become more aware of his active presence in every moment of their day. So no one can say to them, you don't know the Father, because they'll say the Father is part of every moment of my life. He knows every aspect of my day. I feel him 
in each in each moment, in each second, in each hour. So we've offered you the steps of the examine right there in your bulletins, and we're just going to take a few minutes and practice it tonight. We're going to sit in silence, which might be a little bit uncomfortable, uh, but it's really just important not to be distracted by words or melodies or tunes, but just to sit in the silence and experience God, even in the stillness. And we're going to go through each of these steps. We're going to invite him in to shine his light on our day. We're going to review the day with him, each moment, good or bad, without judgment, without justification. And just identify moments where we felt grateful or joyful. And also moments when we felt angry or sad or uncomfortable. We're not just going to breeze past those moments, but we're going to ask God to help us wrestle with them, help us understand what was going on there. Then we're going to give thanks. Thank him for the times of joy and of peace and the moments when he felt present, when we felt his presence. And if it was a hard day, we're just going to thank him for the gift of another day, that we have more days ahead of us. And then we're going to ask God for forgiveness. We're going to ask God to show us any time where we ignored his promptings, where we were impatient or unloving with another person, or when we sinned against ourselves or someone else. And we're just going to ask God to forgive us, and to bring his healing into any situations or relationships where it's needed. And then we close by just inviting God into the coming day, into tomorrow. Sharing any worries or hopes and welcoming his presence, his light, his wisdom into our tomorrow, into each part of the coming day. So that we don't face tomorrow with anxiety, but we face tomorrow with, with peace, with the light of the world. So we're going to practice the examine tonight. We'll close the sermon with the examine. And I encourage you to try it this week every night before you go to bed. I do it each night when I'm laying in bed just as I'm falling to sleep. Sometimes I don't make it through all five steps. But it helps me to just close my day. To remember where God was. To let go of any discomfort or pain or um, sadness that I didn't process over the course of the day. And just Welcome God into my, into my next day. You can do it while you brush your teeth. You can do it while you're putting on your pajamas. You can do it while you're climbing into bed. Do it at the end of your day. Close your day with the examine. Close your day by looking back on, with God at the day, letting the light of Christ shine on your day so that you can understand it, so that you can be at peace with it. So I'm, I'm going to give a little silence. I'll walk you through these steps. And then we'll close with prayer. So, Father, we just invite you. We invite your light to shine on our day, on our heart, on our mind. In this time, we ask your Holy Spirit to bring wisdom and discernment about what was happening today, where you were, where we met you, and where we missed you. So I invite you to review your day hour by hour, event by event, without judgment or justification. Identify moments of joy and peace, moments of anger or sorrow or discomfort.
And I invite you to give thanks to God for the times of joy, the times of peace, the moments when you felt his presence, or just for the gift of another day. And now ask God for forgiveness for any time you ignored his promptings, any time you were impatient or unloving, any time you sinned against yourself or someone else today. And we'll close by just inviting God into our tomorrow, into our coming day. Share any worries or hopes you have for tomorrow and ask his presence and his light and his wisdom into each part of tomorrow, each part of your coming day. Father, we thank you that you care about each moment of our day, each aspect of our life, that you long to bring your light and your hope and your peace into each moment of our day. So thank you, Father. Thank you for walking through our day with us, and we invite you to be more present, more real, more close to us tomorrow. May we be ever more aware of your presence and your goodness. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.